Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. I'm starting a little bit late today because of uh, Hanukkah. Um, I find it somewhat ironic to be studying Moran Nevuchim on Hanukkah because this is the time when we celebrate our defeat over the Greeks, and that includes their, philosophi- their philosophy. If anyone needs a, you know, a copy of Martin Right, so let's so let's get started. Um, we are on page ten in the Pines introduction. We had just started mentioning uh, last last time that the Rambam r- refers back to the three different groups of people that he had made mention of many years ago when he wrote his commentary to the Mishnah, and he said that there are three groups of people within within Kalal Yisrael who study the words of the Nevi'im and the words of the prophets, uh, the words of the prophets and the words of the sages, rather. And these people, the first group, are very simplistic kinds of people, and they look at everything at face value. If Chazal say something, no matter how outlandish it may seem, well, that's what they said, and therefore we have to accept it, no matter how silly or provincial it may seem. The second group looks at the words of our sages and they say, you know, no, no intelligent person can possibly believe this or accept it, and this causes them to reject certain statements of our sages. Now, here in the Mora Nevuchim, the Rambam adds one little facet to this, and he says, that this would not, he says, uh, it's, it's on page 10 on the fifth line, if, however, a perfect man of virtue should engage in speculation on them in these midrashim, he cannot escape one of two courses. Either he can take the speeches in question in their external sense and in so doing think ill of their author and regard him as an ignoramus. And so that, that's the second group of people. They look at the words of the midrash or the, the, the words of the agadita. And they say, this is ridiculous. Anyone who wrote this must be provincial and silly. And notice this phrase, he says, in this there is nothing that would upset the foundations of belief. This is something that he did not write in his Mishnah commentary. He didn't write that he's laying them off easy. In that he says, you know what? If you reject something that the rabbis say, you're not, a, you're not an apikairis. If you look at a piece of agadita, 
and you say it doesn't make sense and I can't, I don't think the rabbis knew what they were talking about. It's not an appropriate thing to say, but it doesn't make you into a heretic. Now, why does the Rambam make that point over here? As you'll see, there are two texts that the Rambam is addressing in the Mora Nevuchim. He's referring to rabbinic text, Midrash or Agadata, but he's also referring to the words of the Nevi'im, the prophets. And this is what the Ephodi, one of the commentaries, points out. He says, if you reject something that the rabbis say, because it seems too provincial or patently untrue, as long as it doesn't affect your halachic practice, you're not a heretic. But if you reject something, words of the Torah, or words of even in the Tanakh, and if you say that the words of the Nevi'im are untrue, so then you are, you are in a different camp. And that's why the Rambam made this contrast over here. To say something disparaging about the sages is very not nice, but it doesn't make you michutz lamachana, it doesn't make you a heretic. But to disparage the words of the Nevi'im already puts you outside the camp of Israel. It's, that, that, that borders on heresy, or perhaps is heresy itself. So <coughs> the third category is that he can attribute to them an inner meaning, thereby extricating himself from his predicament and being able to think well of the author whether or not the inner meaning of the saying is clear to him. This is the third group that the Rambam in his Mishnah commentary had said is, almost, is, is such a small percentage of people who really get to the bottom of and really understand that the rabbis speak using homily and metaphor and that they mean something much deeper than is at the face value. With regard to the meaning of prophecy, the exposition of its varying degrees and the elucidation of the parables occurring in the prophetic books, another manner of explanation is used in this treatise. Now, now he switches from Midrash and he switches to Nach or Tanach. He says when we look at some, some of the uh, metaphorical text that appears in Tanakh, that's a different story. And we actually have to be much more careful and esoteric in our, in our unpacking of these ideas. That the, what the Rambam is alluding to over here is, is that originally I had planned to write a very explicit explanation of all of the places in Tanakh where the rabbis are speaking in metaphor, and I was planning to reveal quite overtly all of the things that they really meant on the deeper level. But I realized that this was not going to be helpful. The general populace would not benefit from it because it would be over their head and perhaps would confuse them further. And the already initiated class, I have to explain it to them in a way that is only uh, appropriate for someone who's already initiated. And therefore, I have to be like the Barbanel's language. I have to be megale tefach umechaset fachayim. The sages use that term. I have to reveal one, one handbreadth and conceal two handbreadths. I will also be speaking esoterically, says the Rambam, in the way that I present this information. I'll be exposing what the, what the words of Tanakh and the words of the Midrash really mean, but I will be doing it only so that an initiated person who's wise enough to understand what I mean will fully understand. Okay, and then he writes, in view of these considerations, we have given up composing these two books in the way in which they were begun, referring to those two works that he said that he had originally planned to write, and we have confined ourselves to mentioning briefly the foundations of belief and general truths while dropping hints that approach a clear exposition 
just as we have set them forth in the great legal compilation, Mishnah Torah. What we see here, what the Rambam, I believe, is referring to is the, a reference to all of the intellectual knowledge that a Jew must harbor in order to be a faithful Jew. And he says, I'm going to mention them um, uh, uh, briefly, and I'll tell you basic ideas that a Jew has to know without uh, masking those ideas over. But they will be mentioned briefly, like, just like they're mentioned in Mishnah Torah. And here he's referring to the Ikare Emunah, the foundations of belief, because once again, the purpose of this book is to imbue the seeking individual not only to resolve all of the conflicts and confusion that he may have, but also to make him have the proper intellectual ideas harbored in his mind so that he can gain perfection and dvekas with Hashem. In order to do that, you have to know, you have to have a working knowledge of the 13 principles of faith. And this is what the Rambam says I'm going to be making reference to in this work as well. We mentioned before that you know, Strauss, in his introduction to Maranavuchim, had provided a very intricate kind of layout dividing Maranavuchim into seven different sections, even though the Rambam only breaks down his work into three different units, Chelek Aleph, Chelek Gimel, and Chelek Beis, and Chelek Gimel. And many of the commentaries are at a loss to try and understand why the Rambam breaks down the Maranavuchim into three sections. There doesn't seem to be a clean break from section A to section B to section C. Um, it's interesting, um, uh, Joel Majonis, who's in the hospital now, I should have a refuah shalema, sent me a very interesting article by Professor Menachem Kellner. And in that article, uh, uh, Dr. Kellner observes that Rav Shimon ben Semach Duran, who was a very important Rishon, spoke a lot about philosophical ideas in Judaism, is the first person to break down the Rambam's 13 principles of faith into three sections. And a number of commentaries observe this. We know that Rambam has 13 principles of faith, but if you want to break them down into easier to digest units, there's really three basic principles of faith, or three categories of faith principles. One is about God, the second is about Torah, and the third is about what we call sachar va'onesh, or providence, that God is a providential God, and man is accountable to God for his, for his actions. If you look at a breakdown of the 13 principles of faith, you will note that the first five of the 13 all refer to an essential belief in some aspect of the Creator, some aspect of the Rebbe either that God is one, or that God is the first and last, and so forth. The second unit, deals with the veracity and the faithfulness of the transmission of the Torah and the prophets. Those are the next four. And then the last four of the principles of faith all talk all about the benefit of mitzvot and that God rewards and punishes and the messianic age and the resurrection of the dead and so forth. So, so uh, Kellner's thesis, which seems to work very nicely, uh, is that the first section of Morinavuchim deals with God and deals with the first five principles of faith. The second unit of Morinavuchim 